Why is it that God's people had to be circumcised for 1,900 years and they don't have to be today? Why was it that for 1,500 years God's people couldn't eat a pork roast and they can today? Why was it that for 1,500 years God's people had to keep the Sabbath day, even the Lord Jesus Christ? We read in Luke 2.16 that Christ went into Nazareth as was his custom on the Sabbath day. Christ was a Jew under the law, and he attended not church on the first day of the week, but in the synagogue on the seventh day of the week. And 20 years later, Luke and Silas and Paul went with Lydia on the Sabbath day to a prayer meeting. They were still keeping the seventh-day Sabbath 20 years after Pentecost. Now the Seventh-day Adventists tell you if you hear about the seventh-day Sabbath and you don't keep it, you're going to be turned loose with the devil for a thousand years on this earth in darkness, and that you can never be accepted as the Lord's servant if you do not believe in keeping the seventh day. And they quote about 20 scriptures. The Pentecostalists quote 25 or 30 scriptures that you must speak with tongues and heal the sick and cleanse the lepers and raise the dead if you want to be a spiritual servant of the Lord. And it's all in the Bible. The Dunkard Brethren will not let you sit down at the Lord's table unless you wash the feet of your fellow saints. Every time they have the Lord's table, the Seventh-day Adventists make the same requirement. They quote John 13:14. Christ said, I have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. Now when the Dunkard Brethren tell you to wash the feet of the other disciples, they are scriptural, because the Bible says so. When the Adventists tell you, it's true. Now, much uh, as one man of God put it this way, he said, every line in the scripture in the Bible is for the members of the body of Christ in the day of grace. But every line in the Bible is not about the members of the body of Christ. And you have to learn a principle. There's a little word, until and till, all through the Bible, where it says the law was added till. It was added till. Till what? Till something happened, a great event took place. Now you'll see as we go along, there are three religious reformations in the Bible. We're not interested for the present. We thank God for Martin Luther, the great Reformation, but uh, not Reformations in church history, for which we thank the Lord, but Reformations in the Bible. Suppose you had been with the children of Israel down in Egypt. Moses was 80 years old. And one day the Lord called Moses, and it was just like a uh, a dynamite bomb coming. From now on, Moses, 
the children of Israel must observe 150 different ordinances and commandments that I, I'm going to give. And he began by giving them the Ten Commandments. Then he told them to build a tabernacle. And in the tabernacle they were to offer oxen and bullocks and goats and rams and turtle doves and pigeons. And they were to take, at a certain time, they were to take two little birds, and they were to kill one bird, and in the shed blood of that little bird, they were to take another little bird and dip it in the blood of that bird and take the bird out and let it go up into the air. Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ was dedicated or presented in the second chapter of Luke, Joseph and Mary brought two turtle doves or a pigeon, or two pigeons. They were very poor. If you couldn't afford an animal that cost something, the Lord would let you come if you're poor, poor with the, uh, uh, the uh, turtle dove or the pigeon. But uh, we read in Hebrews 9 that almost all things were purged by blood, and in the Old Testament, without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin. And today, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Now, if we're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, people tell us to follow him in baptism. Well, why don't we follow him in circumcision? He was circumcised when he was eight days old. Why? Because he was king of the Jews. Why did he go into the synagogue and preach on the Sabbath day? Because he was made under the law and said, salvation is of the Jews. Now then, uh, there's a great reformation took place. When Moses was 80 years old, here were God's people under the Abrahamic covenant. It was all grace. Back there, what did they have to do? They had to do one simple thing. They had to believe in God, and God would count it for righteousness. That's all. Now what do they have to do? When they passed from not under the law to under the law, a great religious revolution and reformation, God imposed upon them not only carnal ordinances and meats and drinks and divers baptism until the time of reformation, and that's very interesting, in Hebrews 9:10, listen, God imposed upon Israel meats and drinks and divers baptisms and carnal ordinances till the time of the Reformation. This is the way it reads. God pressed upon them until they, he rectified or straightened out. That's what the Greek means. He imposed it upon them, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't optional with them whether they obeyed over 150 commandments. There was a severe penalty attached if they didn't do it. And if they didn't meet God once a year at the blood-sprinkled mercy seat, if the priest didn't offer the burnt offering and the meat offering and the peace offering and the trespass offering and the sin offering, their sins were never carried over. Now then, uh, a great reformation took place. They passed from not under the law to under the law. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, God blotted out all of those things, and he nailed them to the cross, and he took them out of the way. Now, God has one program before Mount Sinai, 
He has another program from Sinai to Calvary, and then he has an overlapping of the kingdom of heaven until Paul came, then he has the greatest reformation of all. When he set aside the religious nation with their religious program, he ushered in a new thing with a new apostle called a new dispensation. He brought in the dispensation of grace. Now the Lord said there would be certain religious people that would go over there and bring meat ordinances over here and say, you can't eat meat on Friday and you can't eat pork. All of that was nailed to the cross. You can eat any kind of meat you want to, uh, spiritually speaking. And the only circumcision you need today is the circumcision of Christ, not made with hands. We are not under the law. We're under grace. We're not preaching the gospel of the kingdom. We're preaching the gospel of the grace of God. And there's as much difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the grace of God as there is between law and grace. Now notice what the Lord says in the fifth chapter of Matthew. Notice. In the fifth chapter of Matthew, he makes this statement. And they says, notice, in the uh, 21st verse, You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment, and he that calleth his brother a fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, do you think it takes any exegete, an expert, or a good Bible student to tell you whether that's law or grace? I know thousands of Christians, including brother, brothers in Christ, who lie about their brother who hate their brother without a call. And if this applied today, every one of them would go to hell. All right, notice this. You've heard that of them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Now, there might be 10 or 12 men left in Cook County with one with two eyes if this applied today. But I say to you that 99% of them would have only one eye. If every man who looks after a woman to commit adultery with adulterous look or lust in his eye is guilty of adultery and worthy of hell fire, how many of them do you think would be alive today? The Lord Jesus Christ spent his life under the law. And he's telling all of these things because those self-righteous men thought that they were going into the kingdom of God by their own doing. You've heard so much in this uh, age in which we live, especially this generation, of all the different programs of do-it-yourself. Now, I want to tell you, my dear friends, that 80% of the church members in Chicago, overall picture, 80% of them think they're going to get into heaven by doing it yourself. Well, if you're going to do it yourself and you get the word do, you must take the sweep of the whole book and do the whole thing. And if you keep the whole law in offending one point, you're guilty of all. 
All right, let's turn to the 12th chapter of the book of Luke. The 12th chapter of the book of Luke, and note it. I don't know what we can do to provoke people to come where they belong and rejoice in the greatest message that God ever gave to the human race. I want to say to you, the only authority of God's word, word, when you see what comes in and what goes out, and you finally get over where you belong, it's called the dispensation of the grace of God, the grace of God that was given us in Christ before the world began, not by works of righteousness which you have done, but according to his mercy. When you get over here and see that you can be saved and have eternal life and it's just as free as the air you breathe anywhere, you, anytime. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to be in the church. You can be in your automobile or your kitchen or your parlor. Anywhere you'll say, I'm the ungodly sinner for whom Christ died. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And by grace, as you say, through faith, not of yourself, it's the gift of God. You take your place like Hannah as a beggar on a dunghill and say, here I am, Lord. I'll believe what you said. That's all Abraham did. He believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And God says that was written for your sake. It was written for your sake that you can do the very same thing. Now, all the trouble we're in, Paul says in Galatians 5, 9, that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. What was the leaven? Bringing that which God had given, if it had a God-given place from Sinai to Calvary, and absolutely God gave it just as much as he gave us the gospel of grace, but they took this out of this dispensation and brought it over into this dispensation, they frustrated the grace of God and they perverted the gospel of the grace of God, and Paul says a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. Now what do we have? We have 280 million and one denomination in this country that have brought the ritualism and the sacraments and the Old Testament program, whatever, they just use a hit and miss uh, and they bring what they want, leave the rest. They bring it over here, and they call it uh, a Christian program. Sacraments and ceremonies that have nothing to do. The book of life, the magazine life, is going to have the biggest lie that was ever preached on their front page this week. And I know the woman that's behind it, and you know who's behind it, to bring over that we have to practice those five sacraments in order to be Christians. Not one belonged to this age. They were all nailed to the cross of Calvary, every one of them. They have no place in this age in which we live. That's the importance of knowing the truth, as we said in this book, how to rightly divide the word of truth and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And as we say in this little book, so you can be sure of heaven. Who can be sure of heaven? If you're going to be justified by works, listen, if I'm going to be justified by works, I may live a hundred years and I'll fail by two works. If I had just done two more works, maybe I could get into heaven. Who's going to tell me if I've done enough works to be justified by works? 
What is to be justified by works? It means to be live, to live as perfectly as Jesus Christ did. He was justified by works because he never broke one of God's commandments in word, thought, or deed. Never once did he have an evil thought, did he speak an idle word, or transgress the law of God. Do you want that kind of a commandment to get you into heaven? Who would ever get into heaven? God says, if I should mark iniquity, who could stand? He looked down from heaven to see if there was a just man on earth that sinned not, and he found none till he found Jesus Christ the righteous. Anybody that will frustrate the grace of God and pervert the gospel of the grace of God, God calls you a fool. I don't call you a fool. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched? Who hath bewitched? And then we have men of God that made light of the gospel of the grace of God. They feel so sorry for God. They feel that uh, we might take advantage of God. Think of anybody taking advantage of God. We might preach so much grace that we make it a license to do the thing that's wrong. Listen, my dear friend. If I had to live and do everything that Christ did to get into heaven, why, do you think, uh, and I did that, why, I'd say, my, look what I've done. But who is the person that's grateful to God? Who is the person that wants to abstain from the very appearance of evil? Who is the person that appreciates salvation? It's the person that knows that you do not have to do one single thing, but the free gift of God is eternal life, and you're saved by grace through faith. And being a spiritual bankrupt in Adam and a multimillionaire spiritually in Christ, you're so grateful. You say, oh, Lord, if that's true. Like that boy you heard of, that slave boy, a man in the north who was very rich was visiting in New Orleans, and he, this boy waited on him. He took such a liking to him. He said, my dear boy, I'm going to buy your freedom. And he lived in, staying in New York, he lived in England. And he brought the boy to New York, and he says, tomorrow I'm leaving for England. And the slave boy said to him, my dear sir, if you're going to take me away from this country that I love, I wish you'd have left me in New Orleans as a slave. And the man said to him, my dear boy, you're not going with me to England. There's no restrictions. I went down and paid $4,000 for your freedom. You can go anywhere you want to. You're a free man. He says, if that's true, I want to serve you the rest of my life and go to England with you. And my dear friend, when you find out you don't have to do anything, but it's all by the grace of God and the finished work of the Lord Jesus, you say, if that's true, Lord, I want to serve you the rest of my life. I want to give you every ounce of my strength and every moment of my time. If you're saved by grace, we're to walk in grace. And God says if it's grace, it's not work. All right, the 12th chapter of Luke, just two other verses as we close. Luke 12, notice. In the 32nd verse, fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have and give alms. Now on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. They went and sold their houses and lots. And they brought all the money and put it at the feet of the disciples. And then 5,000 more did the same thing. 
Because they were obeying the word of the Lord. When you come to the Lord, does he tell you to sell all that you have? If a man like the rich young ruler would come in here and say, Mr. O'Hare, to you people I'd like to be saved, would you tell him what the Lord said? The Lord said, keep the commandments. He said, I've done that. He says, all right, go sell your property and give your money away. Would you tell a rich man like that? If you did, God would disqualify him. If a rich man would come in here and a convict would come in here, a, a, a habitual criminal, you'd tell him the same thing. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. You don't have to sell your property. You don't have to give up anything. God says, by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves, not of works. If you sold your property, that would be works, and that's what they did on the day of Pentecost. And anybody who doesn't know the difference between what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and the message after the third Reformation when Israel was set aside ought not to ever try to teach anybody the word of God. They ought to be taught themselves. And how many people do you think there are, the teachers that begin the church and the message of grace on the day of Pentecost instead of after the fall of Israel with the third Reformation? What does the Apostle Paul mean right before he said, I'm going to heaven, I'm through, I fought a good fight? He said, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What do you think the Lord means in the 13th chapter of the uh, book of 1 Corinthians when he said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spake as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Whether there be tongues, they shall be done away. But now abideth faith, hope, and love. After Paul said that, there are only two miracles performed in the Bible. Only two miracles. But 130 times you find faith, hope, and love. But after the 28th of Acts, you'll never find another miracle of healing in the Bible. You'll never find a sick man miraculously healed. If there's anybody healed, they're told to take wine and to be prayed for, and God will have mercy on them. And they may be raised up like Epaphroditus, but they may be left sick like trouble. Well, didn't he tell you they shall be done away? What does he mean when he said the first shall be taken away and the second shall be established? What does he mean when these things are here, they shall pass away? But now abide a faith, hope, and love. Beloved, you give yourself over to faith, hope, and love. And live the life that you have in the epistles of Paul. Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set not your affections upon the things of the earth. Mortify the deeds of your body. Put away the old man and put on the new man. Put away lying and let him that stealeth steal no more. And it goes on to tell you how to live with your wife and how to live with your husband, how to live with your children and to provoke not your children to anger. If you don't do this, you'll be a workman who needs to be ashamed. Beloved, I'd like to ask you, in the name of the Lord, to get into your book and study. 